came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come to America. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. One dynamite show. It's April 1st weekend. I hate to say it's April Fool's. It's not April Fool's. The budget is due. We have an emergency in Albany, and we're going to decide who is in charge of New York. Is it 20 million New Yorkers that love New York and pay the taxes, or is it uh, uh, the socialists that are running Albany right now? I pray for Governor Hochul. I pray, pray for her success in, in making New Yorkers safe. Uh, we have a great show. We have uh, Congressman King. We have David Patterson is going to be talking about the budget. We have Zach Williams about the budget. Paul Zuber, the business council. How is business being affected by the budget? Eric Schuffler on the ferry hawks. And we're going to start off with Michael Stoller. The real estate industry is suffering. Good morning. This is Michael Stoller for the Stoller Report on the Cats Roundtable. My guest today is Norman Barbaro, the president of Norman Barbaro and Company Real Estate Services and also the president of First New York Realty Brokers, LLC. Thanks for being here, Norman. Thank you, Michael. So let, let's talk about the world of leasing. You know, uh, we've, we're in a difficult time with the banking world over there. How do, how do you see the office leasing market in New York City? Well, the, the market is unbelievably busy because um, a lot of people have started working remotely, and then there are other companies that have actually merged with other companies. And there's so many different scenarios out there where um, people have moved to Florida or left a firm. So um, in a number of cases, we, we've had leases where one example is 805 Third Avenue, a law firm which we put in the building 25 years ago. We just did a renewal eight years ago. We just did a new deal for them, and we cut their space from 13,000 feet down to 8,000 feet. Um, another, what about the rent? The rent, uh, the rent was a, a lower rent and uh, some concessions. Uh, but the, and the landlord resented having to, you know, he had about a year and a half left on the lease, but, you know, he, he worked it out. He said, you know, uh, I have to be realistic, and I have to cut deals today. Um, and basically where the tenant was saved here, he's, he, you know, he cut back on his rent on, on a square footage by over 3,000 square feet. Um, other situations are, you know, people have merged. Um, firms that we moved two or three times suddenly said, you know what, I'm over 60 years old and I'm going to uh, cash in the chips and uh, merge with another firm and uh, be out of business. And we've had that with a, um, a number of uh, firms, which are really surprising. And then other, other firms have just suddenly said, you know, um, I need actually larger space because we've had a group of people that have joined us uh, that we didn't expect to join us. What about the the situation with people from working from home? So um, I come in five days a week. I'm there every day because there is action going on all the time. Um, but I would say on Fridays, it is very, very quiet. We have like four brokers or five brokers that come in out of 25 brokers. Uh, but everybody in the office is busy. There is so much business out there. Uh, people are fleeing to the better buildings. Um, uh, those buildings are really basically holding up very well, even though their work letters have to are are really quite high. For my listeners, what what would you consider the better buildings? The A buildings, and then there's the B plus buildings. The A buildings, the A buildings, the ones that are all glass, the ones that have really. Um, people aren't really that crazy about amenities. They're looking for, it has decent views. It has a, um, a you know, they love the pre-built where it's, you can walk right in the door and you can uh, start your business right away. But people are gun-shy example to sign a long-term lease because people don't know where business is going to be. So where normally people would jump to sign a 10 or 15-year lease, now I'll see them say, oh, well, I'll do eight years or nine years or seven years or, and many leases of five years. 
And the owners are not um, objecting that because they want to just get the cash flow going in. We know that this is going to re- readjust itself and the market will be back. The question is, um, how long will it take to come back and who are going to be the people that are going to be hurt by it? Uh, a lot of owners are really hurt that they they um, have large mortgages. They re- you know they, they had great rates before, but now the rates are higher or they have a you know loan to value that is much you know, not what it used to be. And, and they have to either put more money into the property to keep it, or they're going to have to uh, sell. What about am- amenities? You know, a lot of people are telling me that to, to keep these employees in four days a week, even I have to have amenities, I have to have, you know, uh, you know, kitchens, other things over there, like workspaces, you know, social amenities. See, I, I, I've about five or six years ago, I saw amenities being important within the office. So, you know, we bring in fresh food all the time. We have, um, we, we have lunch uh, every two weeks in the office. Uh, but when you have amenity on the 14th floor or the 20th floor in the lower level, people aren't running out the door, you know, to go to those amenities in the building. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're at their job, at their desk, doing their job. And then uh, when, when they have free time, they're going home. They want to, you know, have their private life. But I don't see that many people using the public amenities of the building. Now, okay, what about co-working? Co-working is, 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 really, um, is really a mess. Um, um, I, you know, we all see what's going on with WeWork, and we all see many spaces that have, um, you know, collapsed. The other people that are coming in and doing this type of a business are doing it more with a partnership with the buildings where they're getting the landlord to say, um, I'm not going to get rent, but I'll get a percentage of your profits. Now, some of them must be very successful, but I would say it's it's a risky type of business. Um, people don't sign long-term leases. Um, and But on the other hand, there are lots of companies that don't want to make a long commitment are happy to go three months at a time, even though they're paying 100 bucks a foot for their space. What, what about conversions of office buildings to residential? What's your thoughts? Well, I, I think that's what helped us after September 11th when we you know, lost the towers. Um, downtown you know, changed, and I think that's what we need right now is many buildings to turn residential because residential seems to be holding up. But I... I you know, it's it's a very costly uh, project. You know, if you own the building and you own it for eight hundred dollars a foot, uh, and then you're going to go gut the building, throw everybody out, and turn it residential, it, it's not a simple matter. It takes years to do, and um, it's very costly. And uh, you have to have the right. If it's too big a floor plate, you know, you're not going to get uh, the right windows to uh, to make apartments with. It's going to be too much interior space. In, in addition, you need tax benefits. That's why Lower Manhattan worked because they get had the 421 Gs. So the lower the, the benefits were very important. Hundred percent. I never resent the landlords for making money. They're taking the risk. They're giving. Uh, they're putting up the money up front to build out the space. Um, they're giving all these concession packages, and then it takes years for them to recoup. Um, Someone has to take the risk, and they're taking the risk. So would you say it's a tenant's opportunity today? It's a tenant's market. Um, There are unbelievably inexpensive deals, cheap subleases. There are even direct leases that are very economical. Um, And landlords have to, unfortunately, still give a a large work letter, more than they ever expected, um, to attract those tenants. So besides the work letter, do we have a, a large amount of concession? Yes, Yes. You're talking about a month for every year of a lease in a typical situation. Of course, there's some special spaces, which you're not going to get that. But if you take a 10-year lease, you're going to get a, most likely a year's free rent. If you have to give me an outlook for the rest of the year, what's your thoughts? For the, for the brokers, it's a very, very busy business. Um, we're, we're really extremely busy. We're going to do fine. Um, yes, it's going to be smaller commissions because the rents are lower. But for landlords, it, it's all on a, a case-by-case basis. It all depends on, you know, how economical they can make their space um, and how fast they can move. You know, you put an offer in, they got to turn around an offer in, in 24 hours. they got to move very quickly. they got to get a lease out right away. Or else they'll lose a the deal to another deal, which will, there's always a better deal um, out there. No matter what you think, you got a great deal. There's a higher floor, better views. There's always something else that will come up. So landlords have to move quickly and close the deals. So in conclusion, it's a tenant's opportunity over there. Take the advantage. Uh, you know, Evaluate what you have to do. And I really thank uh, Norman Barbaro for being here this morning thank on you. the Cats Roundtable with Michael Stoller and the Stoller Report. Thank you, Michael. 
With us this morning is Dr. Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky, and he's on with us every Sunday, expanding our minds of what's going on in the solar system, the galaxy, the universe, and just making us a little bit smarter. Uh, Dr. Cates, uh, or, or, or no, you're not a doctor's case. You're my friend Steve. Steve, That's what right, the Jack. heck is That's going right. up? What the heck is going on up there that we can expand our minds and, and feel good about it? Well, John, first, good morning. Happy uh, April and also happy Palm Sunday to our listeners out there. We start off with the sun, which produces all of our weather, as we know. But what's interesting is a big blast of energy came from the sun just a few days ago. It's called an X-flare. And many people may know by doing these particular shows with you on Sunday mornings, the sun is in an increased solar activity period with cycle 25. But what happened last week is even more interesting, in my opinion. People were getting to see, because of these amazing, powerful solar flares and things called coronal mass ejections, the aurora borealis, the excitation of the upper atmosphere, these protons and energy particles that come from the sun, John, the auroras were visible. Normally, they're just visible in the northern latitudes. People in Florida were actually getting to see the auroras, which means that this solar cycle is really just beginning. We can expect a lot more. It's amazing. So how bad can it affect us? Uh, I mean, will it affect us 100 years from now, or is it going to affect us uh, next week? Well, you never know. I mean, we go back to 1859 with that great Carrington event, and we had, of course, then, I've mentioned this many times before, before the advent of computers, we had the analog Internet, which was the telegraph. And those powerful solar storms, and that particular one, actually set telephone and telegraph lines, I should say telegraph lines more appropriately, on fire because of the energy. But now we're such a dependent world, what, on the electronics. We're just hoping that, uh, well, it's going to happen. But because our world is so dependent on the, uh, you know, digital technologies and electronics, we have, uh, well, that's not a good story of what could happen. It could simply wipe out grids. It could do so much. But we always like to be positive when we expand people's minds. So you never really know about that. But there's something, John, that we want to mention. Every week we talk about here on your show, the mystery of the week. And here's the big one. Nobody understands this, but here we go. Why did Mars dry out and where did the water go? Well, this is the great mystery in science. So what astronomers and scientists think they know, about 600 million years ago, something changed. They called it climate change on Mars, I guess, way back then. But it was probably due to increased volcanic activity. Mars was very active with volcanoes. But some say, geologists included, astrogeologists, that water may have flowed on the surface of Mars 40 million years ago. And now, well, we'll get to the point of where it went. But many people believe that there's water underneath the surface of Mars in these aquifers, as evidenced by images showing these large gullies on Mars. I find this fascinating because maybe the true thing is Mars has water well below the surface. But we'll tell you a little bit later, where did it go? There's another theory. Isn't that fascinating? That is fascinating. And I, I'm still fascinated by the moons of Mars because uh, so many people said some of them, those two might be artificial. We don't. We really don't know. I understand if somebody going to say they're going to try to send a, uh, a, 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 a some kind of what do you call a drone uh, up in uh, those moons. Right. They're going to send a spacecraft, a Phobos type probe, which will actually land on the surface of Phobos, which is actually the larger of the two Martian moons. And we don't know what to expect. I mean, more than likely, John, from astronomy and astrophysics, there are probably bodies that were captured a long time ago. But here's the answer to this. If we're talking about where the water go. Here's what many astrogeologists believe. Mars core solidified. It has no magnetic field like the Earth, which has a molten core, as we know. And since its core solidified, it had no magnetic field. It still doesn't have one. So what does that mean? It means that the area above Mars, its atmosphere, which is mostly carbon dioxide, it doesn't have that protective blanket like we do around our Earth. Thank goodness we do. So that all that solar radiation literally just baked off the water as it evaporated into space. So that's one of the theories as to where the you know, water went on the surface of Mars, a planet that's so amazing. Because we tell people this particular weekend as we move into April, the most amazing things you can see is the moon as it grows to be full in early April. We'll talk about that next week in detail. 
but you can see Venus and Mars in the sky pretty easy. And this is fascinating, John, as we open people's minds to take a look up in the sky. And how about this? Next week, with your okay, let's talk about how the moon is connected to the date of Easter, the date of Passover. We call it the Paschal moon, and also the Orthodox Easter, that's April the 16th. So we move into this beautiful spring, this beautiful month of April, and so many things to talk about here. And it's always a pleasure to be able to share this with you and your audience. Steve Cates, Dr. Sky, thank you so much for making us a little bit smarter. And I look forward to talking to you next week again. Uh, and there's so many things to talk about. Uh, maybe you'll, you'll give us a heads up uh, uh, at a certain point during the week, and we'll tease it to our, uh, to our audience, for the, our weekend audience. Always a pleasure, John. And check us out at WABCRadio.com for the Dr. Sky Experience, both in the form of podcast and blog. And also, John, from many shows that I've done in my past, proud to talk about American exceptionalism in there. I think the listeners of this station will appreciate, as we talk, as you always talk about truth, justice, and the American way. God bless the country. God bless America. God bless America, and God bless our country, and God bless our solar system that we survived. Thank you so much. <laughs> my pleasure, John. Have a good morning. With us today is former Congressman Peter King, and uh, so many things happening in our country. You know, I, I want a common sense uh, opinion of, I mean, we're all concerned. Congressman King, there's so many things going on. Where do you want to start today? John, I think we could start maybe with the shootings in Nashville. Uh, you know, this, they were tragic, absolutely tragic. I think too often, though, you find both sides not using common sense. I mean, the first thing, Joe Biden talks about and the Democrats talk about is doing away with assault weapons. Now, having said that, I voted to ban assault weapons, but that's only a small part of the answer. The fact is, most of the shootings in this country are not carried out with assault weapons. So I think it's wrong to emphasize that. On the other hand, Repu Republicans shouldn't just say we do nothing about assault weapons. Let's have stricter mental health tests. Let's really decide why we need these, you know, these heavy duty weapons. And I say assault weapons, that could, you know, technically they're not, but whatever. You, know, you want to call the AR-15, find some ways to restrict their use or restrict the number of people who can get them. I mean, I would favor an outright ban, but I understand there's different attitudes around the country. Let's try and sit down at the table rather than Democrats immediately saying let's ban assault weapons, and Republicans saying no, and nothing happens. I think we can make some inroads there. And I think we need stricter mental health standards. Uh, uh, whether or not this shooter would have qualified for that, I don't know. But we have to have that the... Uh, Records are more up-to-date as far as a person with a mental health condition attempting to buy a heavy-duty weapon like this, having a, a, a wait period, 15, 20 days, 30 days, to, you know, to fully check it out. Uh, so that, to me, is something instead. Uh, one of the reasons we have these uh, events, these tragedies, is because of mental health, because of uh, anxiety in society. Uh, and it doesn't help to have both sides just screaming at each other. From their, you know, from their respective corners. It's, uh, it's, to me, that just adds to the uh, danger. Another issue, John, that really is becoming more and more dangerous is uh, uh, Taiwan and China. Now, I strongly support Taiwan. I realize China is really trying to expand. The uh, president of Taiwan was in the country this week meeting with uh, Kevin McCarthy. I think Kevin McCarthy did the right thing. We have to make it clear we stand with uh, Taiwan. But in doing that, we have to start taking steps to weaken our dependence on China. I mean, to have 90 plus percent of the pharmaceuticals that we need, if God forbid there's ever another uh, pandemic uh, manufactured in China, gives them really uh, almost a life and death their stranglehold over us. Uh, these are things that have to be resolved. Also, all the American uh, companies that invest in China, China uh, is very strict about them. It's where they can be. When uh, Chinese companies want to invest in the United States, they invest near uh, military sites, near sensitive security locations. And that's just something that has to, uh, we, we have to, I know Congressman D'Esposito is introducing legislation which would uh, basically be uh, you know, reciprocal. For everything that uh, China does here, we should be allowed to do over there. And in no instance, though, should they be allowed to locate near sensitive locations because we realize that they are absorbing every bit of possible information they can, which I think is also the situation on TikTok. I wouldn't be supporting uh, banning TikTok uh, 
just for the content to what they have. That's a free speech area that shouldn't necessarily be done by Congress. But I do think it should be banned because of the fact that it's basically uh, owned and run directly or indirectly by the communist Chinese government. Also, it's another issue, a uh, foreign policy issue, but it's also somewhat personal to me, is this uh, Friday, Good Friday, upcoming uh, Good Friday, will be the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, which was signed in Belfast. Uh, it was between the Irish and British governments by all of the uh, uh, political parties in Northern Ireland and the South of Ireland. But most importantly, it was uh, brought together by Bill Clinton, President Bill Clinton. He worked with uh, Tony Blair, the British Prime Minister, Bertie Arden, the Irish Prime Minister, and all of the parties in Northern Ireland. And this was a conflict that was going on one way or the other, 800 years. And uh, basically it was felt that no one could resolve it. The fighting was going on. People were being killed. Bill Clinton, uh, and there was no big uh, election issue for him, but he had been in that area of the world back in 1969 when he was a student. He saw what was happening, and he strongly felt that the United States could be the honest broker. It was not a religious war, but it was a bit of a war, and Bill Clinton deserves more credit than anyone for bringing that about, bringing that agreement about. It was long and hard, but he stuck with it, which no other American president ever even tried to do. Well, you and Bill Clinton did a great job, and uh, uh, the world thanks you because it's one less problem to worry about. And someday we'll talk about the uh, the uh, agreements we had between uh, the Ukraine, Great Britain, and Russia, because you were there. You were a member of the Homeland Security Committee, and right. and uh, we'll do that another day. I'm a forward to it, John, and I again, wish everyone a, a happy Palm Sunday and. Uh, it's, uh, again, you know, the weather is clearing up. It's getting better. Baseball is back. WABC is stronger than ever. So, John, our, our world is good. Let's make sure the rest of the world is just as good. I agree 100%. Thank you, Congressman Peter King, and we'll catch up again real soon. Thank you, John. Play ball. Well, it's springtime. And uh, the other day, I was at the grand opening of, of New York Yankees, and what a day it was. A little bit cool, but it was a beautiful sunny day. And with us today, Eric Shuffler. Eric is the uh, chief operating officer, runs and president, and runs the Ferry Hawks every day. And he is working hard. Opening day, April 28th. Eric, how are we doing? We are doing great. You know, Yankees and Mets off to a great start. New York City's third professional baseball team, the Staten Island Ferryhawks. We open up April 28th. What a great day. All-American fun, Nathan's hot dogs, affordable tickets, beer, your family out for a night out. doesn't get any better than that in New York City. Let me tell you, the, the food at Yankee Stadium was great. I had those Yankee, those Yankee hot dogs. I'm still feeling them in my mouth. I still taste them, and they're great. And I had popcorn and peanuts, but no Cracker Jacks. You know, I remember the song, Popcorn, Peanuts, and Cracker Jacks. And tell me, are we going to have great hot dogs at, uh, uh, at the Ferry Hawks? We have the best. Nathan's world-famous hot dogs. And uh, a good popcorn. And you know what else was great? The Yankees had these peanuts. They were out of this world. I've never tasted peanuts that was so good. You know, Staten Island loves its food, and they are world famous for their food, especially on the Italian side. And we've got local places, Kettle Black, Hobra. So we have awesome pizza. We have awesome tacos and burritos, local beer. It's just a great night now, and we have the best view of any baseball stadium in America. We're talking about the opening of the Ferry Hawks uh, on April 28th in, uh, in Staten Island uh, in the name of the stadium. Staten Island University Hospital Community Park. We're right next to the ferry stop, looking directly out at the skyline, lower Manhattan. John, it's a gorgeous view, and on a Friday night, beautiful. Beautiful, and you're going to have a big weekend, Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday, opening weekend, and who are we playing? We are playing the Charleston Dirty Birds from down in West Virginia. But we have some really cool stuff going on that weekend. On Saturday the 29th, we are breaking a world record for the largest human jigsaw puzzle piece. We're working with the autism community on Staten Island. You know, we've sold thousands and thousands of tickets already for the weekend. Whole bunch of new fan amenities, new food, 
Great prices, great view, all-American pastime. And I understand uh, New York City Economic Development has put on all brand new seats in the stadium. Tell us about the new seats. Brand new seats. They are Carolina blue. They are gorgeous. What's really cool about it, John, is we have a select number of limited premium padded high back seats. We have new drink rails and group areas for fans. And we have a bunch of four tops and two top tables. So you want to come with a group of four and sit at a table. You want to bring a big group and sit at the drink rails and look at the view and watch the game. You're a hardcore fan and want to sit in a seat and watch that. We have it for everything. But they are gorgeous. Great. And uh, do we have any idea yet who's throwing out the first pitch? We do not. It'll it's be, a secret, it right? It's a secret. It'll be someone. And big. are we going to have contests uh, maybe during the uh, uh, during the season and uh, and getting the uh, you know being able to go down to the field and throw out a pitch? Uh, we have people who can. You can go down and throw a first pitch. You can sing the national anthem. You can sing "Take Me Out to the Ball Game." We're letting fans take the lineup card out. Remember who our manager is? Tell us, Homer Bush. Homer Bush, 1998 World Series champion, New York Yankee Homer Bush. And Homer is one terrific guy. I remember we went there about a month ago. Uh, I was signing the, my new book that I had, uh, uh, and uh, How to Become a Billionaire. And you know, somebody said to me, how do I make two billion? I said, read the book twice. <laughs> and Homer Bush was there, signed every baseball, signed every glove, and he loves the fans. The fans love him. So it's going to be a great season. Ferryhawks.com. Buy your tickets in advance. Buy, uh, you know, uh, come out to the ball game. Enjoy it. That's what Staten Island is all about. That's what New York City is all about. And uh, God Bless America. Are we going to sing God Bless America at least? We're going to sing God Bless America. Yes, it's one uh, of my favorite songs. Thank you, Eric Shuffler. Uh, play ball! You're listening to the show where you can hear New York's top newsmakers. It's the Cats Roundtable. Comes true on Sunday in New York. What is today is former Governor uh, David Patterson of New York State, and he was also the uh, uh, Democratic uh, chairman of the Democratic Party of New York State. Uh, Governor, it's April 1st weekend, and I hate to say it's April Fool's, but it's not April Fool's. Uh, What the heck is going on with the budget? I understand there's a lot of turmoil up in Albany. Uh, Everybody's holding to their guns. Are New Yorkers ever going to be safe again? Well, John, we could have a real mess on our hands because even if the legislature would like to stay a few extra days to pass the budget, we are running into Passover and Easter next week. And because of the observances, the legislature might have to adjourn and probably not come back before April 10th or April 11th. So uh, these, you know, hours here this weekend are critical. Uh, The Assembly Speaker, Carl Hasty, said that they really haven't had meaningful discussions about taxes yet. That's what most of the progressives want. But if they haven't even had those conversations yet, it's going to be hard for them to have them before they're going but to governor, have to gov- Governor, 484,000 people left New York. Is there anybody left to pay the taxes? Well, that's a very legitimate point. And it's, uh, uh, I read once that, uh, seven, uh, that, that there were 7,000 people who paid most of the taxes totally. And, uh, you know, so that's a, an issue that has to be considered. One of the issues that no one's really talking about is that Hochul had a plan for bail reform last year, and the legislature didn't do it, but they sort of rewarded Hochul at the end of the year because when Congressman Zeldin at one point had pulled even in some polls with Hochul in the race for governor, a lot of the progressives hit the streets and uh, are given credit for helping to bail her out. So the politics is uh, involving itself in, in this particular practice. Hochul is standing far more firmly on the bail reform right now, but the, the, um, uh, the Senate and the Assembly seem intransient upon, uh, uh, on this point. However, 
One thing that's different this year than last year is some of the Democrats who are moderate, uh, like a state senator named Martinez, who voted for bail reform in 2019, was beaten by a Republican in 2020, but retrieved her seat uh, in 2022, is saying that we're going to have to listen to the voices of the constituents, the voices of the people. And the polls that are out now show that nearly 70% of the population would like to see uh, a, an increase in um, uh, the discretion of judges to make those decisions at trial. I really did understand the thrust of the bail reform that the Democrats passed in 2019 because you had people sitting and rotting in jail and they the more time people sit in jail, innocent or guilty, the more recidivism there is. However, it's also important to point out that the uh, bail reform would give judges a last chance at a lot of defendants who have already been arrested several times and should not just get bailed because there is. And uh, I think that uh, the legislature could reconsider that point and wind up in a pretty good position because of the other issues, they seem to be uh, swaying the negotiations in their favor. Well, Governor, uh, you know, I've, I've, we've said it at, the, at our 5 o'clock show so many times. Who deserves to be safe? 20 million uh, uh, New Yorkers that, that want to be able to walk around safe? Or 2,000 or 3,000 violent repeat criminals? And I, I, I tell you, I, I take the Kleenex out, and I'm crying for New York, because if we can't make a difference right now, we are still going to keep losing uh, uh, consumers. We're going to still keep losing citizens. We lost 484,000 already, and we're going to start losing businesses if businesses are abused. I don't know what to say anymore. I mean, I think we're at the crossroads of saving New York or losing New York. Well, I think that the polls that are out right now should have influence on the legislature, and the polls show that people would like to expand the discretion of judges at the bail hearing. And um, I don't really know why this has become that controversial an issue, because that used to be the standard in New York for years, John. And ironically, in 1971, it was the Republicans who held the state legislature and also the governor's seat with Governor Rockefeller. They didn't trust the judges, and they were actually the ones who restricted the judges' capacity to have discretion at the bail hearing. So perhaps um, the Democrats who are basically in control right now uh, the Senate and the Assembly should think about that because the the laws the way they were years ago would work very well right now. Well, Governor uh, Patterson, I pray for New York. I love New York. You love New York. And I pray for New York uh, to survive because so many people have left. There's nobody left to pay for the taxes. Uh, that's been a problem in a lot of places. Uh, people think that the uh, resources have never run out, but they do. They do. They do. Governor, I look forward to talking to you Monday or Tuesday to see if there's any progress. And uh, have a nice weekend, and uh, we pray for New York. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Well, it's April 1st weekend. The state senate, the state assembly, the governor, the budget is due. What the heck is going on this weekend? With us today is the Star Reporter reporting on Albany from from New York Post. We have Zach uh, Williams. Uh, Zach, fill in uh, all New Yorkers. Uh, is there a deal? Are we going to be safe in the future? Or what's going on? <laughs> Thanks for having me. Well, there's not going to be any budget deal today by the, the April 1st uh, budget deadline. You know, two top issues have really held up the budget talks before anything else can really get negotiated. Bail and, of course, Governor Kathy Hochul's controversial housing plan. Both of them have faced uh, some pretty tough resistance in the Democratic majorities, led by Senate Speaker Carl Hasty and State Senate Majority 
Andrea Stewart Cousins. And, you know, bail in particular is just, you know, such a touchy issue. You know, you got um, the progressive left in the legislature. They hate the idea of rolling back or otherwise uh, loosening any limits on cash bail, especially given all the reforms that they passed in 2019 and some of the subsequent changes they made since then. But the governor says, she says she is going to keep pushing and claimed on Friday while speaking to reporters that, you know, there was at least some productive conversations around her cash bail proposal. You know, interestingly enough, it looks like the assembly might be more willing to play ball with her on this issue, at least based with what's publicly known. You know, a couple of days back, they reportedly um, released a counter proposal and the state Senate either is or at least is wants to appear to be the one that's really, you know, holding out on cash ba- on um, on overhauling the bail laws. And, you know, it's just going to come down to which side might give in first. And uh, that could, you know, really set the tone for the rest of budget negotiations. You know, people don't understand what it means. There is no budget. Uh, there was a provision uh, put in by either Governor Cuomo or Governor Patterson that if there's no budget by April 1st, uh, then uh, the uh, state assembly and the state the Senate, they don't get paid. What other repercussions are there by not being a budget? The new fiscal year begins on April 1st. And typically, uh, well, and if they do not pass a new state budget or some type of budget extender, by the 6th, then that means state workers are going to miss the paycheck, or at least they'll be <laughs> delayed. Now, if they hold out a bit longer, I believe it's the 12th, that means legislators won't get paid. And that's when things can get really, really interesting. So those right there, um, you know, are, are, are some of the people that would be directly affected by the inability of Albany Democrats to immediately pass the budget by, say, mid April. Now, the consequences would grow with time, but it kind of comes down to, of course, just like at the federal level, does, you know, do, does everyone involved pass a budget extender, which would just kind of keep things going along the same funding lines that they've been, you know, that they currently are, or um, will the state government shut down? Now, you were alluding to some uh, kind of older history from when uh, David Patterson was governor more than a decade ago, and he kind of developed something novel in how the governor approaches the legislature. He, he saw that with those spending extenders, you know, the legislature, they can't change those. They can just vote yes, they can vote no. And he took his whole budget and basically made it the budget extender and said, okay, you're either going to vote for my budget or you're going to shut down state government and possibly deal with the political blowback for that. And so he did that until, um, you know, he got some concessions out of the lawmakers. And that since then, that's really been kind of the implicit threat of what a governor would do in a real budget showdown. I, I've been supporting Governor Hochul and, because I want 20 million uh, uh, New Yorkers uh, to be safe versus 2,000 or 3,000 violent criminals. I mean, I don't understand the state Senate and the state assembly. Is it whose side are you on? Twenty million New Yorkers that want to be safe and not leave, or you know, uh, uh, three three thousand violent criminals that don't deserve to be walking around society. Well, in terms of the politics, it comes down to whose constituencies are who. You know, the governor has a statewide constituency, all twenty some odd million uh, New Yorkers out there. You know, individual lawmakers, they got like, you know, 150,000 uh, constituents or 80,000 constituents, more or less, I think, in the assembly. So, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, again, it, you know, when, when, <laughs> when, when uh, either the governor or the legislature, you know, approach this, you know, they got to think, you know, who's kind of counting me on this? And, you know, we were mentioning the leader, the assembly speaker, the majority leader in the state senate. They got constituencies, too, and those are the individual lawmakers. You know, I think it's pretty safe to say that Hochul, compared to Stuart Cousins and Hasey, is much more ideologically supportive or, you know, of kind of a pragmatic approach to bail. Whereas they, you know, really believe in the reforms they pass, and so do a lot of their members. And while the legislative leaders are powerful, 
that can never really go too far in front of their skis, or at least uh, to mix some metaphors, too far ahead of their members. Because, you know, in the end, if they don't have a consensus of their members, things get a little chaotic. And if, you, if you're in the business of herding cats like those two uh, folks are, Hayden and Stewart Cousins, you know, you do not want chaos in your legislative conference. And it appears, you know, at least right now with bail, that they're being very careful to try to get a budget deal with Hochul. Don't give away too much at first. You know, remember, you give her everything you want on bail, where's your leverage for the rest of budget negotiations? You know, there's a lot of important stuff there. Public safety, of course, matters a lot. And so does housing. But, you know, you got school funding in there. you got, you know, everything from the Department of State to the Department of Veterans Affairs and everything else. So there's a lot at stake here, kind of like a poker game where you just got three people kind of looking at each other and, uh, you know, try, trying to read each other and see, you know, what every little raised eyebrow or blink might mean. And uh, I guess that FCA legislative leaders are playing it pretty cool right now. Maybe just maybe they'll hold out long enough uh, to get some concessions of their end. Zach, thank you for the update. Well, hopefully maybe we'll talk to you Monday or Tuesday to find out uh, if there's any progress and, and have a great uh, rest of the weekend. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. We continue a common sense conversation on the Cats Roundtable where we listen to all sides. With us today is Paul Zuber. He represents the business people, the business council of New York State. And we had a discussion the other day where uh, I was talking about we lost 484,000 consumers in New York State in the last uh, 24 months. And he is concerned that we're going to start losing businesses besides. Uh, Paul Zuber, welcome to the Cats Roundtable. Well, thank you. Thank you for um, having me and having the opportunity to kind of talk to you about, you know, some of the concerns that we have at the Business Council. As you said, John, we represent uh, over 3,000 businesses. We represent small businesses all the way up to um, major companies. So we get the full kind of understanding of the market from small to big, um, every sector of the market. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of concern in the business community about, you know, what's going on in Albany and, and some of the, the things that we believe uh, folks are missing that would help business and help business grow and keep people in New York State. Well, I, I'm very much concerned because I know uh, the budget is being done this weekend and, uh, uh, I, I don't know the final results yet. And my only advice to Albany was, and, and all segments in Albany, is that everybody wants to raise taxes. Everybody wants to uh, raise the budget and give more benefits, et cetera, et cetera. But who's going to be around to pay it? I, look, I, I, I totally agree. And, and, you know, there's some, there's some really simple things that the, the legislature could do that could – you know, help businesses, help create jobs. You know, businesses are still paying for COVID sick pay leave. I mean, they're they're still paying for COVID paid sick paid leave. We have a we have a not for profit in Western New York. It's cost them over a million dollars to um, pay for COVID paid sick leave. Last time I checked, the president had um, issued a, uh, a statement that May eighth, I believe, is going to be what they consider the end of COVID. Why do we still have, why is nobody talking about, you know, changing this law? We do have fa paid family sick leave. There's no reason. It's costing our businesses more money. Um, and, there, and there's so many more. There's unemployment insurance. You know, businesses are being hit with additional taxes through no fault of their own because during the pandemic, they had to close their business. And instead of doing what most states did, which is refund the uh, unemployment um, insurance fund, New York decided to spend the money on, on something else. So now our businesses are being hit with taxes that they had no, it was not nothing that they did. They were just following mandates that the state placed on them during the, the COVID period, um, restricting um, employees because they were non-essential uh, places of business. So these are the type of things that hurt our businesses it frustrates people. Um, it makes New York unaffordable. 
Um, these are the frustrating well, things that we keep seeing. Uh, Paul, we're, we are on the brink of losing our city and our state because if 484,000 people have moved, those are the ones that pay a lot of the taxes. And now if we're going to go after businesses too, and I don't know what's going to happen. You know, one of my main businesses is real estate. And we have mm-hmm. the ability, we spent several billion dollars in the last five years building beautiful buildings. And we have the ability to build more. But, Paul, you know what I'm doing? We're building, we're building in Florida right now because I don't know when I'm going to spend the next billion. Should I spend the next billion in New York or should I spend the next billion in Florida. You know what my kids tell me? Florida dad. Florida dad. Well, you know what? It's 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 a reality, John. And it it seems as though nobody wants to understand that that's a reality, that people are literally leaving our state. They're leaving it because it's unaffordable. But it's unaffordable to me because nobody is sitting and talking to business and saying, "Hey guys, how do we how do we make this work? How do we make this more more affordable? Somehow business has become the bad guy. And we're not the bad guy. Businesses want to grow. They want to grow their, their employees. They want to have a diverse group of employees. But you know, no one's sitting down and talking to business about how to make uh this work and you know, you see it, I see it, and there, there's article after article. There was a recent article in the Times about how African Americans are leaving are leaving New York State. They're moving to places like Atlanta, Georgia. Why? Because it's more affordable. You know, it's not because of the minimum wage, because the minimum wage is seven dollars and twenty five cents in in Georgia. They're leaving because it's unaffordable. And until folks start working with business and help and and working hand in hand. We're going to have people continue to leave. Well, you know, businesses are under attack in many, many ways. Uh, workmen's compensation insurance, uh, unemployment insurance, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, you don't know, as a businessman, I don't know if the zig or zag. And, you know, I'm getting old. I'm over 70. And, you know, I want to leave my kids in charge. But I don't want them leaving them in charge where they're in combat every day. It is combat every day. And look, I, I, I think that there are a lot of really good, wonderful, hardworking legislators. So I don't mean this to be, you know, an attack uh, solely on the legislature. But there is a group of legislators who have only one thing on their mind. It's, it's like attack business, attack business, attack business, attack business, as if business is the culprit. Right. And then, you know, what people have to understand is the world's changed since COVID. Right. You know, we, you know, and I've been around long enough. You used to go to the office all the time. That was that was how you did business. You don't need to do that anymore. You can Zoom. You can do different things. And when you're telling business that they're not welcome, then it's very easy for them to go someplace else. They can and go, that's a problem. Yes, they can go to North Carolina. They can go to Tennessee, which is down down the block from from us, uh, as you can say, and they can fly into New York two days a week and do their business if they have to. Exactly, and that's and that's what a lot of and that's what a lot of people are doing. It, it's a migration. It's a migration out, and it becomes very easy. And people have to understand that whole that whole dynamic um, that happened during COVID is changing the world, and we have to keep up with this change. We have to make this a place that people want to live and do business. We've got to make it a friendly place. Uh, You know, I'm telling uh, Governor Hochul that. I'm I'm telling uh, uh, the Attorney General Tish James that. Uh, Hasty, who's a very nice guy, I know him, uh, for the State Assembly. I'm telling the uh, Mike Gennaris, who uh, helps run, uh, who I know very well. I went to his wedding uh, on uh, the State Senate. I don't know Stuart Cousins at all, but I'm telling them all, I don't want to lose our city. I don't want to lose our state. And, and I'm telling you, I'm crying. I got an extra block, box of Kleenex for our city and our state. Me, I'm going sur- to survive. But, you know, and, and I don't want to leave New York. I'm right there with you. Um, I don't want to leave New York. I love New York. 
but it's getting harder and harder um, to be in New York. Um, you know, again, like you, you hit the nail on the head. Something as simple as unemployment insurance. Yes. I mean, how, how can we not fix that? 35 states have fixed the unemployment insurance debt. Again, that is not, it'd be one thing if it was business's fault for, for, you know, the unemployment insurance, but it wasn't. They did what they were told to do by the state government, shut down your business because you're a non-essential business. They shut down their business. People had to go get unemployment. It wasn't their fault. Now they're getting stuck with the bill. And that's not fair. Well, and that's something that makes people not want to do business or open businesses in New York. Number one, let's stop the bleeding. Let's tell all our senior uh, people that run our, our city and our state, let's stop the bleeding, and then let's figure out how we bring the people back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, John, I, I think one of the issues – that I've kind of noticed over the years. And again, you know, you, you named some people who I think are wonderful people. Carl Hasty is one of the, the, one of the best legislators I know. I do know Andrew Stewart cousin. She's wonderful. Tish James, but we all need to. I love them. I believe me. I I love Tish James. I love governor Hochul. But we, I love them all. But but I uh, you know, all. I went to Mike Janaris's wedding. I, I I love Hasty. He's a Star Trek uh, fan, and me and him had a good discussion on it. But ah, we got to bring, we got to stop the bleeding and bring the people. We got to stop, and we got to be willing to sit down and talk to everybody and get the minds in a room who know and can tell people what is going on. You know, one of the things real quick, and, and I know we got some other issues that I want to I want to talk about, but, you know, we have a gentleman in our office who is our human resource director. He gets about 300 people on a webinar every month, small businesses who are there strictly to understand what the heck the state had just has just done to them in terms of mandates, because the small businesses don't know. They don't have human resource departments, but all they know is they get getting hit with mandate after mandate after mandate after mandate. And again, if you're not going to make it business friendly, people aren't going to open businesses. That means people aren't going to get jobs. That means people are going to leave the state. And that's what we're, we're fighting for Paul, at the Business Council. Paul Zuber, Business Council, New York State, New York City, thank you so much for coming on. And I pray for our city. I pray for our state. And we'll talk again real soon. All right. Thank you, John, and have a great day. Happy you're listening to the Cats Roundtable. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to uh, WABCRadio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. Stay tuned for the national edition. Stay tuned.